Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Exciting installment of In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside a few of my favorite former U.S. men's national team teammates, Charlie Davies and Heath Pearson. Guys, listen, we have a U.S. men's national team legend joining us today. He played in the 1984 Olympics. Okay, he was pivotal for helping us qualify for the 1990 World Cup. First time we qualified for a World Cup in 40 years, but unfortunately he had to miss the tournament due to an injury. However, he did play in the 1994 World Cup, which must have been pretty amazing because we hosted it, and then he got named to as U.S. Soccer Athlete of the Year in 1991. Johan Cruyff, fun fact, tried to bring him to Ajax after he got to see him play in the NASL, but it didn't work out due to work permit issues. And amongst many, many other things, he got this said about him by accomplished and legendary U.S. men's national team defender Marcelo Boba, who said, if you look at the history of U.S. soccer, he was the first playmaker we really had with that much technical ability. He was the first American where you said, wow. So how excited are you for Ugo Perez to be joining us today? Charlie Davies. I'm pumped. You know me. I love history. And and a player that was able to break down barriers and, and create opportunities and access in this country is huge. I mean, he's one of the, the first to do it. And so when, when I... When I think about his impact and how it's being felt now, you look at the current U.S. men's national team, you look at the youth setup, you look at the the coaches, um, it, it's incredible. So we, we always have to uh, to give thanks and, and praise to um, people like like Hugo Perez and, and the work that he's done because he's he's laid the foundation for us to to kind of cross over. So uh, this is big, and he's and he's he's been incredible with, with El Salvador. So let's go. I got some questions. I'm excited. For him. I do. I have a lot of questions now, Heath. After Ugo retired from playing, he's gone on to become a terrific coach, as Charlie mentioned, mm -hmm. including a successful stint coaching our youth national teams in the U.S., which included, at some point, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic. Like, he got to mentor some of our top players now, and he's also killing it with El Salvador's national team, which I think we could both agree were one of the hardest teams to play in World Cup qualifying. So there's a lot to talk to, to him about. Where do you start with this? I mean, he's got so much to offer. Yeah, I mean, I, as a former youth national team player, you know, I kind of wish that when, I, when I've heard some of the players that I've spoken to directly about the, the confidence that he instilled in them, the, the belief that it's not that we didn't have the talent, it's about believing that we do have that talent, um, you know, made me wish that I would have had the opportunity to have, to have worked with him in that capacity. But knowing that we have these players now in the first team that he worked with at the, at the youth level and seeing the talent come through, I'm excited to sort of ask him questions about that. There's been a lot of things that have been said about him in the press in a, in a complimentary way. And and I can't wait to uh, to find out more. I'm, I I think that we're extremely lucky to have him on. So let's let's get let's get let's to it. Let's get Jim. him let's get on right it. now. This is a huge honor for us. Ugo, 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 Ugo. Yes, Ugo Perez, everybody. Ugo, first and foremost, thank you so much for your time. Now, just to give everybody some context, you were born in El Salvador, but you were raised in Southern California. You and your family came over when you were age eleven, and so. I wonder how much that influenced you because when I see what you had done with the youth national teams, when I see what you're doing with El Salvador, recruiting dual nationals seemed to be a very important part of the process in, in when you're selecting players and, and trying to develop players. Uh, can you speak about your experience growing up and, and what you saw? As, I mean, you've really been at the forefront of how soccer has developed in this country. So I, I don't know even know where to start, but I guess I'll, I'll go start there. I think, uh, first of all, thanks to all of you for having me in your show today. Um, 
it's always a pleasure to speak about football with you guys. Uh, obviously, all of you have been part of our programs with the uh, with U.S. Soccer, and um, you know, I to be honest with you, I um, I'm always and, and I always said this. Um, my career could have never been where it got without the opportunity that the U.S. gave me. Um, you know, I, I moved to to L.A. when I was 11 years old. And um, when I turned 18, I remember trying to see if I could play for my country in El Salvador. And they were going to the World Cup at that time in 82. And uh, they denied me the, the opportunity because they said that I didn't live in El Salvador. Okay. And at that time, I was playing with, in the NASL with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Um, and suddenly... I think when I when I, I signed when I was 17 with the Rowdies and uh, when I uh, was denied the opportunity, I got a call one day from the Federation and they called Tampa Bay Rowdies and they asked him if I was interested in, in becoming a U.S. citizen. At that time, they were preparing for the Under-20 World Cup that was going to be um, in Honduras to qualify for the 83 World Cup. And I did not hesitate at all. Um, and I said, yeah. You know, uh, my country gave me the no. Uh, you know, I started my career here. I said, I want to I want to represent the country. And that's how I, you know, I came in and, and started uh, with uh, with U.S. soccer. So I'm always going to be grateful. I think, uh, you know, even as a coaching as a coach now, I I got the opportunity to work with U.S. soccer for about eight years. And they gave me the opportunity also to. To prepare as a coach, uh, we had a good program. We we're going overseas with, you know, our licenses and stuff like that. And I learned a lot. I mean, uh, it was funny playing against them the two times that we played in the, <laughs> in the octagonal, to be honest with you, because some of the players that are playing now with the with, with the U.S., I got to coach them when they were under 14s and under 15s. And uh, where they're at right now, it's amazing and tells you how much our country has, and, you know, nowadays, obviously, um, the, MLS, the MLS is doing a great job in developing players. And the most important thing, and I think Klinsman said this, and, and I think some people got upset some years ago when he said that our, our best American players had to go out, mm -hmm. had to go to Europe, had to compete in Europe. And now, uh, to be frankly with you guys, I think we have, Obviously, it's, it's, it's not good to compare generations past, but right now, I think we have one of the most talented uh, young teams in the world. And, uh, you know, we didn't qualify, but um, I'm rooting for the U.S., man. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's not only because I know some of those players, but again, because of the opportunity I got with U.S., um, and, and they're always going to be in my heart. And, I hope they do well in this World Cup. Um, we, you know, we have a young, talented team. Um, and you guys know, you, you, you participated in this. This is going to be a big test for us, but I think 2026, okay, is going to be very, very important because these players are going to have a World Cup under their belt. And playing at home in 2026 could give us the opportunity to, to dream about winning the World Cup. And I hope, again... Uh, It can be accomplished. You know, Hugo, I got a question for you on the on the subject of dual nationals. Obviously, yourself one coming to the U.S. at 10, 11 years old. You know, one thing that I was surprised about, I live here in Los Angeles now, is just how large the El Salvadorian population is here, right? And and doing work with Alianza de Football, you, you assume that when you mm -hmm. come to Southern California that it's going to be primarily, and it, it primarily is, uh, Mexican-American kids. But there was a big population of talented El Salvadorian kids that are living here in Los Angeles. How important is that for you uh, in terms of recruiting for, for, for El Salvador, as well as balancing sort of trying to stabilize and improve the infrastructure in El Salvador itself? Well, I think it's going to be going forward. It's going to be a big um, uh, program for us. Look, there's no secret that right now, Mexico, the U S and we've come now into this um, situation because of so many Salvadorians in the United States that now we're competing for players. Look, I just came from the Dallas Cup 
and we have right now uh, in the team that we took for the under 20s, we had 13 players that were born in the U.S. from parents Salvadorians, and and there's a, a kid who also has been looked by the U.S. Uh, his parents are uh, Salvadorian, and the mom I think is from Mexico. All right, so there's gonna be a. a for us, it's going to be a competition. Obviously, we, we can't compare with the U.S. We can't compare with uh, Mexico. But there's one thing they always say, and, and I got to work with the U.S. before, and then I got to work with Mexico, all right? And this issue about players playing for a different national team, apart from the U.S., for example, I always say this. At the end, um, I think every player with their families have to choose what is best. Mm-hmm. For their careers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I am not the type of person, and I always did this when when we were with the U.S. We always uh, had meetings with the families and presented the program that the U.S. had at that time. And when I was with Mexico, the same thing. I never said, "Look, don't go to Mexico because we're better," or "Don't go to the U.S. because we're better." Never. Uh, I think it comes down to what their feeling is in their hearts. And also, I think they have to consider, and, and you know this, um, in a national team program, the, it, it depends who's under uh, with that program, okay, head coaches, because we have to respect also what the head coaches are looking for according to their philosophy of mm-hmm. the type of players they want to bring in for the World Cup qualifiers or programs. And whether you're Hispanic or not Hispanic, Sometimes you don't fit in those programs, not because you're a bad player, but because the coaches see different things, how they want to build their team. And according to that, they choose players. Uh, but we are now, uh, we've, we've been going to the U.S. for the last year and doing, for example, training centers for Salvadorian players. Uh, and we will continue to do that. But at the end, um, you know, it's always tough to compete against the U.S. I mean, Right. And, and and if you ask me, for example, uh, would you play for the U.S., Mexico, or Salvador? And and I was born in the U.S. I would have to say I have to play for the U.S. Okay, mm-hmm. if they want me. Right. That's the other thing. Now, if they don't, then there's the other opportunity. Whether you can go to Mexico or you can go to El Salvador. But I'm always um, and I said here with the people in El Salvador, I said, you know, when we have this issue, I think that the best thing would be to be transparency. Okay offer what we in reality could offer and then let the families decide what they want to do. And it's a perfect segue into Alex Roldan. When did you initiate that conversation? And it's clear under, under the opportunity that you've given him that he's excelled, that he's developed. And now, you know, you see him in every CONCACAF match. He looks like a, a, a real professional player that can really change the game. And so I, what, when did that start for you, and, and what were those conversations um, well, consisting of? Basically, with Alex, uh, to be honest with you, Guatemala also had um, had talks with him, I think, and his agent. So when I called him, he told me that he hadn't decided yet if he wanted to go to Guatemala. I'm still surprised, to be honest with you, but again, uh, as I go before, I still have to respect the, any coach who chooses players for their programs. But for me, Alex could have been at, with the U.S., to be honest with you. I, that's my personal opinion. Uh, but when I contact him, the thing that I said to him was, look, I'm here now. I was, you know, I was born here. I play for the U.S. And I said, what we can offer you is the opportunity to help us grow the program. If you're not going to play for the U.S., then we are here to help you in your career, and you're here to help us also. And then after that, I showed him uh, exactly what the program was, where we wanted to go, and how important he was going to be. And at the end, his agent and and and, and him chose to play with us. Savaleta, uh, the same thing. You know, uh, he never got the chance to play for the U.S., and he was. I think he was approached about some years ago for US, uh, from El Salvador, but they didn't have a good program, to be honest with you. Um, and when I contacted him also, he said, yeah, why not? And 
you know, we have a player from Costa Rica also who his parents are from El Salvador, but he was born in Costa Rica. Now he's playing for us. So it's been, again, it, it's been something interesting. The only thing is, again, um, what what we offer is the uh, the opportunity uh, for them to to help us build our program. Right. And and that's the bottom line. You know, I said, like I said before, I, I can't compare with the U.S. They're ahead of us. I can't compare with Mexico. They're way ahead of us. Infrastructure, everything. But what we want to do here is all those players that cannot play for those national teams and are good enough for us, if I feel they're good enough to help us, then they're welcome to, you know, to come with us and, and we'll do everything we can to make sure that uh, they stay with us. Well, you, you touched on Alex Rodon possibly playing for the national team, having the quality to play for the U.S. national team now. But I feel like when you first brought him on, he, he wasn't there yet. He had potential. So how did, how did you improve his quality and, and where did where do you think you improved them the most? Look, I, I think and you guys know me. Um, I think every coach has a philosophy that they believe in when they are coaching. And there's a, I always say you have to have a conviction of how you're going to coach, how you're going to teach football, what type of football you want to play. And, you know, I, I did the same thing. And this, and this is funny. I'll tell you this story. Um, when I was with the under 14 national team with the U.S., um, we used to contact all the coaches all over the country that were scouting for us. Right? And this, and a, a name came up, uh, and, and this was Christian Pulisic. Okay? And they told us, this kid doesn't play for a big academy. He plays for PA Classics. Okay? But they told us he's very technical, he's very creative, but he's not big. Okay? He's not physically strong. But he has a good feeling and good technique for the game. So I said, let's bring him in. So we brought him in, and he was one of the smaller guys in the under-14s, right? So after a week, some of the coaches said, "Lo, you know what? He's good and everything, but physically, you know, he's not strong and blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, this kid has a lot of potential, right? Let's keep him and let's surround him with people who are going to be physical and let him create, have the ball, give him the, the freedom to, to, to show what he can do with the ball. And we kept him, right? And I was surprised, to be honest with you, when he left for Borussia because we had contacted some of the MLS teams and said, look, this kid, you have to get him in the radar, come and watch him, come and see him. Uh, but again, at that time, they were concentrated too much on the physical part mm. and obviously we went to a couple of tournaments in Europe and they saw him play there and the rest is history okay so what we're doing now with the players coming in here uh when I saw Roldan I said look you know th this this guy can play he's technically good he can play different positions and the way we wanted to play it fit our style honestly and what I did was I always tell the players, look, there are certain things tactically that we need you to do, but you have the freedom to do what you are capable of doing, all right? And that's got to be a plus for us. And we've done that with Roldan and everyone that we brought in. Uh, because, for example, if you see Roldan, he's played with us as a right back, as mm -hmm. a right midfielder. He's played as a right winger. Uh, he's played as an eight in a 4-3-3. But why? He had a great point there. I could feel it. So just to remind everybody while we're getting that sorted out, we are talking to U.S. men's national team legend, Hugo Perez. He played for the national team from 1984 to 1994. He played in the Olympics for us in 84, which was in Los Angeles. He helped us qualify for the 90 World Cup, which was a big deal. We hadn't qualified for 40 years. Marcelo Balboa called him probably our best and our first playmaker that we've ever produced in this country. And mm -hmm. one of our best, of course, in 94, he got to play against Brazil in the second round. I mean, a really storied career. He had 73 caps with the national team, 13 goals. And that is from the number 10 spot. So uh, we're really excited to talk about Ugo. We're going to get him back on very shortly. And, and when he does come back on, I actually want to, it was a nice segue for him talking about Christian Pulisic and what a story that was Heath Pierce that mm -hmm. he had that type of interaction and, and so early on in Christian's career. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I, now that I've been, 
You know, again, I had mentioned uh, just before my question of doing some work with with Alianza de Football. You go to the thing, the the, the fields when they have these sueño tryouts for Hispanic players, and you have Wait, all these. How, scouts. how many kids come out, by the way? I mean, there's thousands. Okay, like we have, we have, we have our sueño national finals in in two weeks in in, in Arizona. And it's like two days of it till you get to a till, till you narrow the group down to the kids that get selected, and it's, you could have anywhere from three scouts to to thirty scouts. Um, but it's interesting to sit amongst them and hear exactly what Hugo's talking about, and that's the the, the profile of the player. You have some right away go doesn't have the ro- aerobic capacity to play for this national team, right? And there was there's the Mexico national team, there's the U.S. national team, and then you had every everyone from. You know, one of them that I was at, you had Sacramento, you had San Jose, you had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you have this wide range of people looking for a profile of a player, a striker that I want to turn into a fullback. You know, somebody mm-hmm. that's long, can cover the ground, has an attacking mm-hmm. mind that I can convert into Sounds something like Brian different. Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have all these different types of things going into a, 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 a the profile of a player that fits within a system and where they're at in their development of can they help me now, right? Uh, it, 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 there's just different responsibilities of age groups that some of it's development, some of it's performance based. Like he's talking about calling somebody in for a qualifier versus, you know, these, these training centers that he's, he's talking about. And so I'm just curious how much of that comes down to good scouting versus, and, and by good scouting, I mean the education of our scouts uh, or the, the edu- like the understanding, the, the, the technical understanding of the game to be able to recognize a good player or who has the potential to be a good player Versus scouting for for the now of saying I need a player that can get me a result today or tomorrow. But I think I think from his standpoint, you know, if you're 14, 15, even 16, how many of those players can step into a first team environment and play right away? Right. You yeah. you have to be able to, to to judge potential versus the physical attributes because there are a lot of players who are late bloomers. But if they have the mental capacity to understand the game, hey, I was one of those players. It wasn't <laughs> until your my junior year, <laughs> my junior, my junior year. So yeah. I was I was probably uh, sixteen when I started to to grow up and, and fill out. And I think wrestling was also a, a sport that allowed me to to be able to understand the how, how to use your body properly and balance mm-hmm. and and. Um, you know, if if you look at Hugo Perez and, and how he's been able to say, hey, this kid's got it. Forget all the physical talk and strength talk. Let's let's play some some real can, football. Can he play the game, right? right. Can he play? Yeah. Right. So can surround him. Pr- protect yeah. him with players who that. can cover the ground, right? So yeah. I, I think it's uh, – I mean, it's fantastic that he That's can great. analyze right. the game I mean, the way. fact that we're getting to sit down and talk to him and really, you mm-hmm. know, shoot the shit is, is pretty cool. Let's bring him back on, Hugo Perez – and Ugo, welcome back to the show. It's soccer. With we love to see you twice on the show. We feel we feel very privileged for that. So, so speaking about your Christian Pulisic story and your development of Alex Roldan, and obviously you're familiar with our our our, our base of players. Mm-hmm. He only scored one goal against you in 180 minutes in in qualifying, and in that first game of qualifying was 0-0 in El Salvador. What did you take from your learnings of of our player pool? And made it so difficult for us to beat us. I mean, you clearly want to support the U.S., but you made it really hard for us to make that happen. We almost didn't qualify for a World Cup, Hugo. Look, um, <laughs> you know, in, in football, it is, it's hard to predict certain things. Um, there was one thing that we honestly prepared for, and that was, can we match the U.S. Uh, dynamically, okay? Mm-hmm. Because when you look at their team, uh, that team is it's 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 transition from defense to offense. It's pretty good. When when I when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about um, as soon as they win the ball, they're going forward. Okay, and our players here in our country, and I'm talking the ones who play here, are not used to play that type of fast football in transition. Mm-hmm. Our league is very slow. Um, so what we had to do was prepare ourselves enough in training to simulate what the U.S. was going to do, okay? And I think um, the first game, uh, then we, when we played him in El Salvador, uh, obviously with our people, uh, and any national team that comes here, when, when that stadium is rocking, um, it's sometimes, not that it's impossible, because I, I played against the El Salvador here with the U.S., and we beat him 4-2 in the Olympics, qualifiers and it was packed uh but it 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 gives our players an extra boost of how the people are and then obviously um, our preparation 
knowing how they played and in the type of football they played. And I always told our, our guys, look, we have two ways of playing the U.S. We are going to back ourselves up and pack it up, okay? Or we're going to have to go after them and press them very high. Either way, they can score five against us. And it's the reality. <laughs> um, and, you know, because, again, because of my conviction, um, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm right, but, um, you know, when I was playing with the U.S., I, I, I always hated when, when sometimes coaches will tell us, well, we're playing Brazil. Let's, you know, let's back it up and, and see if we right. can count. All right. I never liked that personally as a player mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it took our players the ability to show what they can do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that I, I always said, you know what, if I become one day a coach, I, I don't want to do that with our players. Cause I, I always felt that our American players in the time that I was playing, sometimes they were held back uh, and they were afraid to let them show what they could do, okay? And 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 now in, in the times that we're living, again, football has increased so much that I feel that if you prepare well and you have the tools to be able to compete, you know, I, I and again, I, it's, it's, a, it's a choice because, yeah, the, I mean, the U.S. is dangerous. I mean, it, I... I I think between them and Mexico right now in Canada, ahead of all the Central American teams, the national teams, our players playing in Europe has helped a lot. Um, but when we played them, we said, you know, we're going to have to try and go after them and see, because again, I, I, I didn't want our players to be afraid. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and Charlie, you, you may know this because obviously you play international also. Uh, there comes an issue uh, where I speak about the mental part. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you look at a shirt, and you start thinking who they are, where they play, what their history is, and you look at it as a way of too much respect, then fear comes into you. Absolutely. And their doubt comes into you. And this is what I didn't want our players to feel, okay? We, we can't compare to, I mean, our players cannot compare to Pulisic, McKinney, uh, uh, you know, Tyler, who I had him also. I mean, it's, it's day and night, but... Uh, I remember in, in the in the 94 World Cup, we played Brazil in the second. And this is a true story. And you can talk to Marcelo about it. <laughs> we, the whole week, people were saying Brazil is worth more than $100 million. At that time, I'm talking about 94, right? The U.S. is worth $5 million, right? And there was no comparison in that, none at all. And I felt that during that week, some of the players were starting to look at that too much and respect in Brazil. So we had a meeting. Uh, I remember I had a meeting with all the players on the bus, our last practice. And I said, look, it doesn't matter what the press says. It doesn't matter. Brazil has won three World Cup. I said, the U.S. has to show on the 4th of July that we can compete with these guys. And we're not going to look at their stars or their shirt. We're going to go after them. And if they beat us, that's fine. But if not, mm -hmm. I said, you guys have the capacity to show the people in the world that we here in America can compete with anybody. And we went out and did it. We lost 1-0. Okay? And, and that's one thing that I've learned. And now that I'm here with El Salvador, I'm trying to make sure that these players understand that. Are they better than us? Yeah, they are. There's no question. On but, paper, for sure. But not. Sure. Yeah. But when, you know, Charlie, when you play and, and you say, look, I'm going to go out and I'm going to show that I can play. And today... It, it's it's sometimes in the field there, what I call personal duels, right? And I'm playing against the best right back in the world, and I want to show that I can play against that guy. And I want to make sure that that day when I come, he's not going to beat me, and I'm going to be and going at him to show that I'm not afraid. And this is what we did with the U.S. and some of the other national teams. Uh, but again, it's, 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 I think it's a conviction, Right, um, yep. because yeah. I, I could tell our players, look, the U.S. is big. Look at where their players are going or playing. Let's back it up. And if we lose one zero, then it's you know sometimes you think of, but then it's it's okay because we're not the U.S. But I, I don't believe in that because I don't think with the U.S. When whenever I played and and we got beat in in the eighties pretty bad, but it was always you know we need to make sure that our players understand that they can compete and they have the ability to do it. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast yeah you you i'm i'm gonna pull a little bit out of a quote that you had from an interview where you said you know uh that there's a lot of potential i'm paraphrasing here but you you said, I was able to prove to myself in a sense that our kids in this country can play a beautiful style of football. The hardest thing was convincing the players that they could do it, not because they couldn't do it, but convincing them that they could do it without fear of being reprimanded or making mistakes. You know, I, I, I feel like, and Adidas actually went and did this big study around 16, 17 year olds. And the number one shared sort of uh, sentiment of all of these young 16, 17 year olds at the ESP level, like the elite player level was fear, fear of making mistakes. All right. What What do you think is uh, still the issue culturally in the U.S.? When I think about the U.S. and all the talent that they have, that we still go into some of these matches and you still see a little bit of fear from, from players at the national team level, but especially down to like our elite player development, there's still that shared fear of making mistakes. What do you think culturally needs to change to get the most out of those players so that it doesn't require you to always have to convince them that they're good enough? Look, I, I can tell you, um, when I when we assembled that national team with Christian, with Tyler, uh, when they came to the first camp, I said to them, look, we're going to try and and play more attractive football. Okay, Yeah, we're going to run. Yeah, we're going to uh, press. Yes, we're going to defend. I said, but the most important thing that... I want you to show me, I said, is that I don't want to tell you to do something. And I'll give you an example. People say, well, playing out of the back is difficult because you are taking so much risk. Okay. It's true. Okay. But when you think about it and when you're punting the ball, it's always 50-50 if you're going to win it or not. Mm -hmm. It's not sure that just because you punt it and it it lands in the midfield, you're going to win it. No. So, the only thing that you can, I think, help our kids to take that fear away is the, co- the coach has to give them the confidence. And if they really make a mistake, don't say to the player, I don't want you to do it anymore. Okay. Uh, because I, I remember we went to Italy and tournament with the under 14s. And the first five minutes, we're playing Slovakia in Italy. And we try to play out of the back. And our goalkeeper gives the ball away because the field wasn't too good. And they score. Right. Five minutes into the game. And then the center back looks at me and says to me, coach, should we continue to play out of the back? Mm-hmm. All right. And I said, continue to play out of the back. Right. Because at the end, and, and, and you guys know, look, if at the younger ages, you don't fear, you take that fear away. Who cares if you make a hundred mistakes when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, it, it really doesn't matter. Okay. Mm-hmm. What, 
matters is that the coach gives them the confidence because mm -hmm. when they get to the real competition, those players are going to be so confident, all right, mm -hmm. that it's going to be natural, okay? But again, and I always tell our, our players here in the national team, I said, look, I want you to play out of the back, and if you make a mistake, it's my fault. It's not yours. And I'm talking about now qualifying for the World Cup, okay? Because I don't believe uh, just punting the ball. Like, yeah, you can punt it, but you always have to try and see if you can play to your advantage and how or the type of players. That's why when we look at players, um, you know, you look at technical players, you look at players who are who have good qualities with the ball, because obviously they can do that better. Uh, but I, I my, my my counsel would be look at the younger ages we got to teach our players to be comfortable with the ball from the goalkeeper defenders. And you know, the, the, the soccer now is if, if you're a defender, you can't play with the ball, then you have a problem now. Okay. And so I think still in the U S the problem that we have in the U S sometimes still is that you have so many clubs in the country that they're only looking for results because results gives you numbers. Okay. And, now it's changing with the MLS because I was at the Dallas Cup and I was looking at the, some of the academies and, and they're doing a good job. Kids are playing now with more confidence and hopefully that can increase. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it can only come if the coach gives that confidence to the players. Well, I, I can tell you one thing. You should be extremely proud because when we're covering the U.S. men's national team and, and, and World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF, everyone could say, man, El Salvador, they compete. They're not afraid. You've earned respect across CONCACAF, and, and uh, you should be very proud with, with how you, you set your team up to, to try and compete. What I will add, and I'm sure a lot of people here listening uh, are really interested, because this is the first time we can talk to an opposing coach who's played against the U.S. <laughs> Men's National Team. Who, who, in your mind, was the toughest team to prepare for? I know you talked about the U.S. and, and giving your guys the confidence to go out there and say, hey, this is how we're going to play. We're not going to back down. The mentality is we're going to try and win this game. We're, mm -hmm. Everyone's everyone's human at the end of the day. So disregard the, the names of the shirts and the clubs they play for. But you have Mexico, you have U.S. men's national team, and you also have Canada who came out of nowhere in, in this round of qualifying. So for you, who was the best team and who was the, the most difficult to prepare for? I think it, consistently, I think Canada was – was the um, the team that for us when we played him we lost in Canada in the first I always say we lost in Canada the first 15 minutes that's when we lost the game because when I look at the tape we had the ball a lot uh, we had a couple of chances but that's a team that is very well organized defensively each of their players are very very discipline in mm -hmm. what they do and look I, i've saw all the games even when they play against the u.s and the u.s lost i think 2-0 mm -hmm. in canada i mean when you look at the u.s had the ball more that's the reality but canada was so disciplined in how they play that they stood with that until the last two games when they lost i think in panama uh but i think that was the most difficult team to play it against even basically very, very disciplined. They don't get out of their role a lot. Uh, and sometimes it's difficult to play against those teams because, I mean, you look at Canada, during the game, they could change the systems. With us, they play with four, and then they, they would play with five in the back. They would play with three in the back. Uh, so they were well coached. Um, and you can see the, the whole octagonal. That's why, I mean, I, I, I wasn't too surprised that they qualified first. What surprised me most was that nobody, when we came into the tournament, thought that they were going to be that good. And remember, if you remember, they were not in the octagonal, okay? Right. They were out of it, right? And then I think CONCACAF did a whole calendar thing, and they were able to come in again. Mm. But if they would have been six teams, they were out of the World Cup at that right. time. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So, so, Ugo, I have a question then. Uh, off of yeah. that. So group B, we have England, Iran, the US, and it looks like Scotland, Ukraine, or or Wales. Group C, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland. That's a good mm -hmm. group. And then you have for Canada, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, 
Croatia. So when you think about the three groups for the top three CONCACAF teams, which one do you think has the best chance to advance? Because those are pretty difficult groups, all things considered. I would have to say the U.S. Yes. That's and I tell you why. <laughs> no, and I tell you why. For example, um, England, people say, well, England's going to be the most difficult game. It's not. It's not. Um, I think Iran is going to be the most difficult game because you don't have to tell our players to get up to play against England. You don't, right? Uh, but but it's always fearful because you play England and suddenly you come down a level and you play Iran and you say, well, Iran is it's okay, but that's not a bad team, okay? So I, I think it's going to... Um, Hopefully, hopefully, and again, I, you know, uh, knowing some of the kids, uh, I don't think the issue about experience is going to count there because all of them are playing in, in, in Champions Leagues and, and good leagues in, in, in the world. Uh, I think I, I said this in an interview uh, about a month ago. The most thing, the most difficult thing for Burhalter is going to be how to put these guys in and, and to make sure their chemistry is working, okay? Because mm -hmm. the talent is there. There's no question about that. But remember, it's their first World Cup. Mm. Now, how do you keep Pulisic happy? How do you keep McKenzie ha McKinney happy? How do you keep, um, you know, uh, Tyler Adams happy? I mean, I'm talking from the midfield up, right? You have so many choices, and it's going to be something that Burhalter is going to have to think before the World Cup. What's the best chemistry and how you surround those players to be able to come as a group and perform as a team? And also, remember, in football, you can be so good tactically that one player can destroy that tactics and make and win a game. And you have Pulisic that can do that. You have Weah who can do that. You have different players. But the most important is going to be the chemistry that he's going to build before the World Cup so those players can perform and do well with the U.S. Hey, you touched on it perfectly. You talked about chemistry and how one player can throw off everything with this group. For me, being a, a former striker, the U.S. <laughs> national team have yet to have that guy. Who, In your opinion, you're Greg Berhalter. You're in his mm -hmm. shoes. How do you pick the nine heading into the World Cup? Is it somebody who you say solve this problem for us, Hugo? Solve this problem for us. I've gone. I've gone with this player through World Cup qualifying. I know his history. Or are you? Is it as simple as I'm going with my most informed striker come World Cup? Well, before that, Charlie, you have to think about and you play as a forward, all right? What does a forward need? Because you can have the best nine in the world. And he's not going to score goals. Mm -hmm. You know that. Now, who do you have behind him that can create opportunities for that night? Because that's the question. It's, you know, we always think about, well, you know, but when you analyze the game, how many chances you're creating for that player to score goals? Okay. You know, Bielsa used to say, when you analyze a game, there's three things that you analyze in a game. One is, are you keeping your style of football? It doesn't matter who you play against. That's one. Mm -hmm. How much possession or positive possession you have with the ball? And the third one, he said, which is the most important, how many chances are you creating to score goals? And I think that's going to be the key. Because for me, you have, right now, the U.S. has a couple of kids who are nines, right? Uh, but when you look at Pepe, for example, Pepe's what, 18 years old? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very young. Right now, he's not playing too much in Europe. Okay. Uh, but then you have other nines who are in that mix, right? But for me, the most important is going to be who you're going to play behind those guys. Where do you play Pulisic, for example? Do you play him as a winger? Do you play him as a 10? Uh, then McK McKinney, I think, for me, when you look at McKinney, Right now, he's he's one of the best eights in the world for me, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, so I don't worry too much about him, but I do worry about where do you play Pulisic to take the most out of him because he can create, he can score, all right? 
he can play different positions, but it's up to the U.S. why they want to use him. So going back to the nine, I would have to think uh, uh, is who you're going to put behind so that way they can create those chances for that nine, and that nine has to be there to score. And that's the, the for me, that's the most, uh, uh, that's the, the biggest question, okay? Um, because are, are the nines that, We've seen him. I think we we Pepe. I don't know if Pepe played against us. Uh, then you had the kid who plays for FC Dallas, um, Jesus he, Ferreira. Yeah. And then the other kid who plays in Switzerland. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have a couple of them, but 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 the issue is who's behind. If you're gonna play a four three three, do you play with two two sixes or you play eight and ten that are creative? I, I like the. I also had that kid. Um, Luca de la Torre, for example, he's he's in the map now, okay, mm -hmm. and he's a good player, okay. Uh, do you play him with Pulisic? Okay, that gives you a lot of more football, and then obviously on the outside. But um, I think that's gonna that's the biggest question for for Berhalter. Who do you put as a nine? But who can really create chances for that nine to score goals? Well, I'm going to keep you in the in the same vein, Hugo. You're still you you still got your Greg Berhalter hat on. We've got two windows leading into the World Cup. How are you using those windows then to analyze? Because uh, it, it, quite frankly, everything you said, I, I think our group fully agrees with. But that's not what we saw in World Cup qualifying. We didn't see a system that was built around supporting that number nine striker. And we've been highly critical of that striker not scoring goals because they get a half chance, maybe one chance uh, on mm -hmm. on goal. But it hasn't been fluid in terms of the attack so looking at those two windows are you what like what are you focusing on that's trying to get this team ready because i haven't seen anything built around like how do you put Pulisic? because when Pulisic's driving and he's got good combination play and we have that combination play with our attack we're, we're very dangerous but for the most part i haven't seen a lot of that throughout world cup qualifying so how are you using those windows leading up to the world cup to try to to try to uh kind of build some cohesion in the team well, I think that you're going to have to be consistent in, uh, with, with the players you bring now. And um, the other thing is um, when you analyze the octagonal now, that just passed, for example, and, and as coaches, you, you start thinking, okay, we had X amount of games, and you start looking at the games that you won, how you won them, and you start looking at the games that didn't do well because of tactical issues or players in positions. After you analyze that and you start thinking, okay, I have two windows before the World Cup, okay? Then you have to make a decision who you think is going to be there for the first game, I guess, uh, the group in, in the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And second, if you're going to think about that, then the, 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 the FIFA days that are coming, you're going to have to make sure that those players, when you bring them in, you start working now of how you're going to be able to have that chemistry before the World Cup, okay? Because there's not much time. Don't worry too much how fit they're going to come, to be honest with you, because they come from clubs who are way ahead in the level. The worry is always, how do I uh, build that chemistry? And I'll give you an example. How do you make the most of Christian Pulisic, which is one of the most important players in the team. How, how do you, I mean, you give him the responsibility of being the captain, great, but how do you maximize his potential from midfield to the final third? Mm -hmm. Okay. And who do you think he can play alongside that's going to give him the extra age that he can produce in creating things? Okay. And, and, and that's going to be key because if you find, for example, can Pulisic play alongside McKinney? Can Pulisic play alongside... Gio Reyna, uh, for sure. Gio Reyna. I mean, and, and, and you know as a player, Charlie, you know, uh, and when I used to play also, I mean, I, I knew when I played with Winalda, for example, right? I knew where Winalda was going to be, Right. I knew where the spaces is going to be. So I had to find the ball to get it to him in spaces that are an advantage when you receive for a nine. And, and I think sometimes when you don't, when you're not creating too many chances, again, it's not because of the nine. It's what is behind mm -hmm. the nine that is not 
functioning well. And that's going to be the hardest work for Burhalter to find out. Now, Ugo, I think we should rename this podcast Coaching Masterclass with Ugo Perez, <laughs> coach of uh, El Salvador. Jimmy, we he wouldn't really come appreciate- to us, though. He wouldn't come to us. He, he, he had only things in common with Charlie, you know. He's <laughs> well, got that's nothing guess- in common with the defenders, you no, know. Us attackers stick together. You could have been a great defender, you know. I, I think he sees like a shining star in Charlie, and then we just look like donkeys. He yeah. No, 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 no. I'm no, just giving no, a hard no. time, Ugo. It's all good. No, I got, I got one last question for you, Ugo, and I think yeah. it's important for – a number of people out there um, that look like you and I, you talk about the path to coaching. So there's a lot of players that retire, don't know where to go, how to get involved and, and what are the right steps to take? So could you shed some light on the opportunity? Obviously U S soccer gave you the opportunity to get into coaching, but through your journey, through your experience, what has worked, what have you seen work? What hasn't, and how should players kind of prepare for that, for that journey? Well, look, um, I think that one of the, the important things is, as soon as you stop playing, uh, you have to start. You have to stop thinking that just because you play, you're gonna be able to coach. That's not true. Okay, um, I made that mistake. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I, I, I made that mistake. Uh, but when I made the mistake, I realized, hey, there's not a, you know, when you play before, there's certain things that you see when you're coaching that you live them already that you went through them when you're coaching outside and you look and say, well, this could happen right now because it happened to you in the game and that's good. But when it comes to the tactical part, okay, you need to make sure you are well prepared. And when I mean that is, you know, you take your coaching courses, right? Uh, I had to start and, and I think it's still the same thing with players who play in the national team. Uh, I think they go straight to the B license. Okay, they don't go through the lower levels. Uh, but I started coaching girls at the beginning when I was taking my license. Then I started coaching boys, young boys, 13, 12, 14. And it helped me to prepare myself of how I wanted to. I wanted to see my teams play. And then obviously, when you go to Europe, uh, and you guys know, I, I think Europe right now, I just came from Europe a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was Manchester City, uh, Leeds United, and I went to the Spanish Federation. And you realize that right now Europe is the top the top continent where football is play well, where you have the best teams in the world, where you have the best players in the world, and where you have the best coaches and also I would have to say the uh, the preparation for somebody who wants to coach at a higher level, you got to go to Europe. There's no question about that. But be humble enough also to start at the bottom because it's easier for me to, and I always, I thought, you know, well, I played professional for 18 years and I played for the national team. I went to the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. I want to be at the top right away. But, but, for, but for the sake of learning, I think you have to humble yourself and come down first and go step by step, especially if you're young, you retire at 35, 36, 37. And I think it gives you uh, a, a better foundation as you're growing up to become a good coach. And I think the other thing, which I, I, I talk to the coaches when they're also learning is you have to be open to learn from anybody, anybody. And it doesn't matter at what level. Uh, because I don't think we always have the right answers. The only thing that I always say to the coaches is do not change your conviction of how you see football, okay? Because at the end, uh, your conviction is what's going to carry you through, okay? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you have a conviction of how you vision yourself as a coach and how you want to teach football, I always say, look, football is about coaching, but most of it is about teaching, and, and if you become a good teacher of the game and you can pass it along to your players, they're going to become good teachers of the game, even as they're playing football. Mm-hmm. But and conviction doesn't mean you're not willing to learn, right? That means it, no, no, it, no. it's not a stubbornness of saying I only play one way and that's it. Because I think that's also a mistake that people learn a philosophy and then they think they've got the answers. No, uh, look, look, I mean, I'll give you an example ourselves. We played, I, I think the octagonal, we played three systems. We play a 4-3-3, a 3-4-3, and we play a 5-3-2, okay? The only conviction that I have is that we won the ball. 
we want to play with the ball. Okay. And that I want our players to be able to have the ball. That was my only conviction. Then systems and tactical stuff, you can always change it. All right. But I'm talking about the conviction is if you're training for a year to play out of the back and then you go to the world cup and you don't do it, that's not a conviction. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but the other stuff, you're right. No, you're always open. You're always open. Uh, and I think, Charlie, again, going back to your question, uh, I think that helped me a lot. Um, coaching with, with the kids and then obviously, again, U.S. had to do a lot uh, of my coaching education. I don't think I would have gotten to where I am if I would have never been in the program at that time that the U.S. was doing. Right. Okay, Ugo, so one last question before we let you go, and thank you again. Yeah for your time. You play against the U.S. on June 14th in the CONCACAF Nations <laughs> League. So what is your conviction going to be in that game? Because uh, we may or may not know Greg Berhalter. And, you know, if you're playing 5-3-2, 4-3-3, 3-4-3, what are you thinking? Because you already had two great games against us in World Cup qualifying. Look, um, I always tell this to our players. Uh, when I... In 19, I think it was 1991, our first Gold Cup, okay, and in the U.S., mm -hmm. we were playing Mexico in the semifinal. We had never beaten Mexico in a tournament that counted. And at that time, Bora Milutinovic was our coach, and he said to us, look, if the U.S. wants to start changing how they see football and how U.S. players can take the advantage of growing up when you're competing. Because at that time, Mexico was the, the master mm -hmm. in CONCACAF. And he says, but if, if, if we beat him, then it's going to take a lot of, in your mind, that you can compete with these guys. Okay? And going back to the 14th, we played the U.S. And I told our players, look, we need to win a game against one of the best. Until we do that, it's going to be steps and steps of confidence. But once you beat a team that is so powerful, I said, then you can start thinking about competing and being consistent in competing. The U.S. on the 14th, I don't know which team they're going to bring, to be honest true, with you. True, good point. All right? It could be the B or C team, as they call it, but they're all good players. But my point is that we play at home, and we're going to prepare to win. We are going to prepare to win. And, and even though we played him twice already, every game is different, okay? Um, so, but our mentality is that we're waiting for our players to take that step to beat one of the best teams in CONCACAF. And if we can do it in June 14th, that would be great. No, let it be Mexico or, or Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Canada maybe. yeah, I think yeah. Canada might be a little bit better. You said you were having well, more trouble hey, with them. Those two, those two are on the list too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Ugo, Ugo, thank you so much for your time. It has been a real honor for us at InSoccer We Trust to have you on. Hopefully we can do it again before the World Cup starts. Your inside is fantastic. We wish you the best of luck with El Salvador, except on June 14th against the U.S. But we know that you're planting the seeds and laying the foundation so that El Salvador can qualify for the 2026 World Cup. And uh, thank you for everything that you've done for our country, both on and off the field. You are the man. Hugo Perez, everybody. Hall of Famer. There he is. Hey, uh, again, I want to thank you for having me in your program. And, hey, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, when I say this, you know, it, it always comes to feelings. Um, and everyone that has played in the with the U.S., whether it's World Cup or whatever, I think you guys, generations before, have contributed so much to football. Our, our football now in the U.S., I don't think it, it could have been unless all of you who were, were involved at that time were part of it. Okay. And I wish, um, you know, I don't know if someday I'm going to coach in the U.S., but uh, but I want to thank you guys, and I want to wish the U.S. Uh, the best World Cup. I think I think right now we have one of the best generations uh, that have come out, and I keep seeing players coming out, coming out, young players. Um, so I just want to wish them the best, and, and, and you guys have done a great job uh, representing our country also. And uh, you guys should be proud of this because you've left what they call um, seeds, right, that have grown through the years. And now we're seeing 
uh, what we can do. So thank you guys very much. God bless you guys. No, there God bless you. Hey, there's some, I'm, I'm hey, going to cry some, on my there's some, podcast. There's some, there's some fans out there that said, hey, there's some MLS teams that need a coach, and you may be getting a call real quick. So I don't know. We'll see. But, hey, I'm glad you guys are doing well. And <laughs> keep it up. All keep right. Keep it up. Hugo right. Perez, everybody. What a guy. What a man. Absolutely Whoa. love him. That was yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll tell you, he answered everyone except for that last one, Charlie. He was ducking. <laughs> he, he was bobbing and weaving. I saw him like. Oh, man. I, I, I did want to ask him, but I also didn't want to blow him up and put him on the spot because four years is a long time for him to, to stay with El Salvador, knowing that there might be some opportunities where he could really dig into an MLS team. So, hey, Charlie, he, I think he, you're spot on because there's plenty did, of teams he, that I think. He did drop he, it in. He did. He did. But but uh, that was good. I'm glad you snuck that in there at, at the last <laughs> second. That was nice. Yeah. That was nice. Well, anything that stood out for you, Charlie, with regard to, to what he said? Because I thought that that was a fantastic interview. I can't Everything. wait to have him back on. I have like another Everything. Ten- <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, great. I mean, he, he's, he's the ultimate class in our sport. I mean, this is a National Soccer Hall of Fame, someone who, who did it on the pitch, but also as a coach, he talked about being humble. And I think a lot of players maybe struggle with that because – you know, if it's not for, you know, players having injuries and having to have those setbacks and then realizing, hey, it's not going to be like it once was. And you have to overcome those hurdles of of building yourself back up and understanding that nothing lasts forever. But you it's more about your approach and your mentality and, and how you value things. And you don't take things for granted more so than mm-hmm. what you've done and and talking about, you know, your your ego. And I think for any coach to really necessarily make it at the highest level. You have to have that level of patience. You have to have that understanding of how to communicate, how to reach players, and and not every player is the same. And he started from the bottom, like he said, coaching girls, coaching boys, and working his way up. That takes a lot of commitment. That takes a lot of of patience, and which allows you to develop as a coach and see things for what they are. So I think um, just well, the way one thing he I'll jump in himself, on that because I help volunteer like my 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 youngest daughters rec team you know there's the 10 year olds and i find a lot of value in that because if you can get some of your methodology across to kids that can't really play but they kind of understand what you're trying to say imagine if you can communicate that to players that do understand and can Mm -hmm. grasp concepts very quickly so i find it to be an incredible uh i don't training ground for for a coach to try these little things and 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 as he said plant seeds to help these players develop and grow so, so it's funny he said that because because uh, I think we're all kind of cutting our teeth as we have kids and, and want to help coach their teams in a fun environment. Keith, anything? I know you said everything stood out for you, but there was – I actually appreciated that he said us a lot when he was talking about the U.S., which really I right. think speaks to where his heart is. What about you, Heath? Anything uh, stand out for you? I mean, I truly mean it. It was everything. Uh, it was one of those interviews where I was happy to just listen, you know, same, and when same. it came time to ask a question, I was like, I don't know. I've just been listening the whole time, uh, <laughs> you know, just keep talking. And so I, I don't really have much more to say than that, other than the fact that this was like an incredible learning experience and also, you know, kind of one where this is somebody who's on the periphery of U.S. soccer at the moment because he's with El Salvador, but you know that. If you could have, if you could multiply Hugo Perez times 1,000, that we'd be in pretty good shape for player development, 100%. principles of the game. And people like that, you know, end up like he's a Hall of Famer as a player. But in terms of his contribution and the fact that he's got the reputation that he does across so many people, especially if you're from California, you hear that name and you know it's sort of, you know, heralded. J- just having him around the game as long as possible, I think, is so important for the growth of our sport. That that's all. That's all I want to say. The rest is just me listening and taking it all in. Oh man, I was absorbing it, and I'm, he's inspiring me. And I don't even yeah. play anymore. I want to run through a wall for for Ugo Perez, <laughs> uh, which is which is pretty cool. But we're gonna cut it short. We're gonna cut it short. We're gonna cut it here. Let me just say that this is a promise, though, that we're gonna continue to bring on great guests for In Soccer We Trust. So make sure you hit that like and subscribe button if you're listening. On your favorite podcast platform, make sure you hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review if you're feeling up for it. If you want to have any guests in the future that you want us to have on, hit us up on Twitter, ISWT Pod on the Twitter. So on behalf of producer Alex and Dez and Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Conrad. We will see you on Thursday. We're going live 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and then on Friday as well. That'll be 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. This is In Soccer We Trust, and we'll see you next time. Later.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.